This is JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with Joseph Hollins, the former state director of Louisiana. We will talk to state apprenticeship directors from around the country to help you learn how to work with their agencies to start a registered apprenticeship in your community. Today we go to Arizona where we talk to Willie Higgins. Willie, how are you today? Doing well, Joseph. Nice to speak with you again. Yes, sir. So, Willie, we know that you are the director in Arizona, but can you tell us uh, what agency the Office of Apprenticeship is in Arizona? Also, we know that most apprenticeship divisions include a apprenticeship trainer representative and a director, but recently there have been some new roles and different roles added. So can you go over your structure a little bit of your staff? Yeah, so the agency we are in right now is the Department of Economic Security. Um, and that's the that's service provider. Essentially, we've got approximately 47 programs in DES. Um, and we're in a, a division in our Division of Employment and Rehabilitation Services. And then we're also in another entity within that part of the agency with the Employer Engagement Administration. And we're in there with folk rehabilitation. We're in there with our reentry programs and with uh, our business service representatives and our local veteran employment. And then my staff is made up of, uh, I've got two staff members right now. And we recently lost one and I'm hiring for that position. Um, and two ATRs, Sherry Sawinski and uh, Rick Carillo, both of them are being trained as ATRs. And the way I train my ATRs is to actually take over as a director some part of the day. You know, if I have to leave for some particular reason or something happens, unfortunate, uh, that they can take over and be director. So we, we, we work them through all aspects of the actual occupation from how to be just a registration entity on, on the system to actually taking care of every part of the program. Uh, they're very strong on the CFRs, and so I, I really, they're excellent. Their backgrounds, um, because of the, the recent thing with the COVID, Sherry has had a, a lot of experience with um, workforce from her previous experiences, and so we were able to help uh, with some aspects of that during this UI. We had so many UI claimants, like every state did, that uh, it was great that Sherry could sit in there and help out in this uh, not a regular basis, but as much as possible. I definitely know that COVID, I know even in Louisiana, uh, it was all hands on deck. The apprenticeship staff here also had to uh, start handling UI claims because of the great volume. But Willie, can you you tell us about some of the highlights, uh, recent highlights you've had in registered apprenticeship in Arizona, whether it be growth or new industries? Yeah, well, and within the past few years, if that's pretty recent, actually, um, we've we've been fortunate enough to be breaking into non-traditional occupations. Obviously, construction's always been the mainstay of registered apprenticeships, uh, but to give to give job seekers in Arizona a more diverse look at apprenticeships, we've been creating programs in the insurance industry, and we're trying to break in the medical field. We created a couple of smaller youth programs for um, cybersecurity and IT. And that's been very successful. That was with a company called Kudelsky, a Swiss company. And that's doing very, that's, that's doing very well. And so doing those things is great. Um, but we, we find that rather than be chasing after each of these employers and saying, we have a huge asset at our, our, well, not at our disposal, but as a partner, 
is our community college systems. In Maricopa County, where our we're centrally located in Maricopa County, one of the largest counties in the United States, actually. There's uh, probably 4 million people in our county. We have a community college system of, of 10 in, in Maricopa County Community College System, and we're partner up with them. Um, we have a com- couple of those community colleges that provide a lot of apprenticeship services. And so when we stepped outside, we have 10 community college districts in the state. We encouraged a couple of those programs, especially one in the Tucson area, Pima County. It was Pima Community College to become an intermediary sponsor of apprenticeships. And then up a little between Phoenix and uh, Tucson, we have Central Arizona there. Central Arizona College just recently became an intermediary sponsor of apprenticeships. And, uh, and now we're on the cusp of signing Western Apprenticeship College or Western Community College over there in Yuma right on the corner of, uh, of the United States and Mexico and California right over there to an apprenticeship, being an intermediary sponsor of apprenticeships. We feel that that's our best bang for the buck, I guess, if our outreach efforts is relying on the relationships that the community colleges have within their regions and all of the relationships they've built with employers and the programs they currently teach, aligning those curriculums with apprenticeship to provide a career pathway for job seekers in that region, we think that's devastating because the community colleges are have got great partnerships with workforce already. So that's one that we were trying to highlight in the whole system. But intermediary sponsors, we believe, are, even if it's outside of the community college system, we think intermediary sponsors are, are just the ticket for Arizona. We're currently actively engaged with three others. I'm not going to disclose their names right now, but they're not community colleges and they're in industries that we're trying to break into. So that's, yeah, pretty much that's about our highlights right there. That does sound really good, Willie. Um, I've done a few of these and how to engage community colleges and intermediaries seems to be something that some other directors may be struggling with. So it kind of seems like you're a little bit ahead of the curve right there. Um, but what, what really, Willie, what would be the main thing that you say separates you from other SAA states or even OA? Would it be that intermediary community college engagement or would it be something else? Um, I believe, Joseph, uh, my whole career has been involved somewhat with apprenticeships. You know, I, I started out in Northern Ireland. I went through a registered apprenticeship with the state. Um, I advanced on there. I became, I had the qualifications to be a lecturer in college. So, and then I became a businessman and I hired apprentices and I came to the United States. I worked for a company. I worked with apprentices on the jobs. I, I became a coordinator for a program and I ran a program a registered apprenticeship program. So I've covered all aspects of apprenticeship from participating in one at the start of my career to actually managing all of the the state of all of the programs. And I think bringing that experience has given me a lot more flexibility and experience. And I think the expedited process for getting a program registered has really helped quite a bit by having that experience. And I think being flexible and not being so rigid, sticking to, sticking to the letter of the regulations, I guess you could say. Not that we break them, but we push them to the envelope and we help programs establish what they need to do. You know, there's 
there's a lot of uh, suggestions in the CFRs, the recommended minimums and stuff like that. Well, we don't quibble over four or five hours either way. And so I think that, that, I think that gives me a little advantage, you know, when we're doing outreach to programs and, and the newer industries, essentially. And so I want to touch on, you talked a little bit about how traditionally apprenticeship in Arizona and, and across the country have been construction trade. And you touched a little bit on uh, your intermediaries. And so we know that traditionally apprenticeship had been construction trade, but now there's new industries and new types of sponsors. And so in Arizona, if it's an intermediary or if it's a traditional construction trade company, does the registration process look the same for uh, these different organizations? And, and do all these organizations start at the same place? Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's basically for a multi-employer program, Joseph, as you well know, if it's a, if it's a union-based labor management program or if it's an association or, you know, an industry association group, it doesn't matter. Everybody goes through the same process. Uh, we use four different templates, you know, that the Department of Labor had issued there, and we've adopted those as Arizona standards. Um, we work, the, the, the intermediary sponsors work almost exactly like a, a multi-employer program. <laughs> they get a set of standards. They get uh, the occupation outline work processes in their appendices. And then they have a, a five or more apprentices. They adopt an affirmative action plan, which can split among the employers as well. But we try and help them with their affirmative action plans and their selection procedures. And then the, the, the employer participation agreement that they have with their employer uh, partners, they just have them sign that book. Basically, what we try to uh, impress upon them is we want to make the system as seamless as possible for the employers. But they're already involved in outreach and themselves and trying to bolster up their workforce with quality skilled workers. And we don't want to burden them with any nonsense. We just want to take care of everything for the employers and uh, make it a streamlined process. So the intermediaries do a really good job at that, at just providing the just providing, but they provide the related instruction and any any systems that they can do to take care of the of the registrations and stuff. That really helps quite a bit, and it also helps that we're part of the rapid system, where there's very very little paperwork involved with the apprenticeship model anymore than that was that used to be traditional. I think the only paperwork that we really do right now is when the, the standards are toing and froing from us and the intermediary or us on a program sponsor is all word documents until the final set when I sign the docs and we put that in a PD and that's about the only time that there's any physical handling of paperwork. So uh, we're very proud of that. We've, we've streamlined our process tremendously here. We're, we've cut down a lot of costs on mailing and, and printing costs and uh, time which is the most efficient of all is is saving time. Yes, sir. That kind of has been a complaint of the registered apprenticeship system sometimes is the uh, red tape and the length of time that it takes to register a program. And so you, you describe your design process a little bit of how one goes to a company or organization goes about designing standards. Who, who in your office handles that designing of standards? Is it the ATRs or do you have someone 
special who does that? Who who kind of helps the organization design their standards? I'll, I'll say that to my APRs. They're very capable of repairing a set of standards for an organization. Uh, and that's the, that was the fundamental um, training we give them initially, um, was how to read the standards, understand the standards, and then what the suggestions were for um, for the organization or employer sponsor to enter in there. Um, so they help them build up the standards. And to me, the, the standards themselves are, are and we, we, we profess this out there, the standards themselves are hiring practice languages, essentially. And any HR person worth their salt recognizes that all those things that are in the standards, all those parts in the standards are all hiring practices that they do on an everyday basis anyway. They just have never seen it in that set of, in that format. So we, we push that issue and uh, really the focus is on the work processes, the appendix A for the occupation. That's the focus. That's the actual work processes for the occupation and the related instruction outline where and maybe a curriculum has been developed by one of the colleges or a vocational center or a certification entity. So that's the that's where our focus is on. The the the, the standards pages themselves are basically hiring practice language. There is some language in there and we work them to, you know, understand that that's what they do on a daily basis anyway, or should be. And now we'll, we'll help them with all of that outreach. So our ATRs take care of them from the start to finish. Uh, if they run into a little bit of difficulty, they consult with me and, uh, we'll get it ironed out without any stress. Uh, so the fastest one we've ever registered was, was one that I did in 25 minutes. I had wow. a person come into my office. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I showed them on, they, they leaned over my shoulder, looked at my computer screen. And uh, they they said, "Yep, that's exactly what I need right there in the work processes related instruction, and this can be provided by there." They said, "Yep, do it." And I run through the documents. You want to do this? You want to do this? And picked off all the spots they did. I printed them up. I signed them right there and then, and I registered the program. Twenty five minutes. And that that's, was amazing. That's that's almost <laughs> drive through res- registration. <laughs> it was exactly that way. It was fun to do, but you know. Uh, we're not kidding anybody. There's other entities that take, you know, a couple of years to get around to actually signing when they're completely comfortable or, or maybe they're just the timing wasn't correct from their initial outreach, you know, or our initial outreach. So um, having them, you know, a lot of times our guys uh, are APRs here when they get a contact and, and the, the employer is really wanting to engage. We can get them in and out of there in a very, very short time, probably three or four days usually um, for, for turnovers. Actually, we're turning over barbers here as fast as the barbers uh, board can approve the licensing. So, yeah, that's, we're we're pretty we're getting an efficient system in that right now, and I love it. You know. Yes, sir. So, so you you said twenty five minutes to two years, and so obviously that's upon the employer and how engaged they are, and the timing, and again alignment, as you said. What do you see as the Oftentimes, the biggest hangup for for employers that would take them from that twenty five minutes to that two year registration. Well, a lot of times, um, one of the things that we've identified, obviously, is um, and you, well, this is a, a, a nationwide thing, and we've all addressed it as state directors. We've discussed it on a most common basis: is that you have people that come in and try apprenticeship. And realize, oh no, this isn't for me, and they leave. So the turnover was a huge, 
thing for for uh, employers. And so what we've done is try to connect that career pathway through our CTE programs, our career technical education, and build those pre-apprenticeships, youth apprenticeship training. Um, we found that the occupations that we're moving into, the non-traditional stuff, didn't really have a lot of alignment with apprenticeship from those entities. And so that was always the issue. Did we have a skilled enough workforce? And so once we have that, when, I, when you have a two-year part of a, a conversation, the initial conversation is they're not having enough people that they can choose from, and they're going to have to really gamble on getting the proper candidates. And it's one of the things we've identified that we really need to alleviate that stress uh, and, and have a, a pool of skilled or focused applicants in a particular industry for those employers to choose from. And once we can create that and have it identified, easily identified, it'll be a lot less than two years to register programs, we feel. And I think that's the biggest issue there was having a skilled workforce. And, of course, it's funding is always a thing. You know, am I going to invest in this workforce? Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we, we do the career pathway, because once you have a focused applicant that, that maybe has come through one of the school programs, then they're not, the turnover is a lot less and retention's high. So you reduce that attrition rate and you reduce having sent people out to career fairs and buy all the little knickknacks that you put on the table to try and <laughs> entice people to come, you know. So, and we, we encourage them to say, hey, you know, you can, with, with, with you not having to do that, you know, by the knickknacks and some of the big companies spend quite a bit of money on their marketing. You could invest some of that money in your school programs nearest to you and, uh, and then, you know, donate particular things that they may need. And that way you can build a relationship with the school and have maybe build an internship before pre-apprenticeships and, you know, and just build that relationship. Um, a lot of companies, I'm not going to be able to speak for companies, obviously, but a lot of companies think that we should be doing a lot more and we're trying our best, you know, just trying to come because, you know, yes, you understand this. Employers are the lifeblood of all of the workforce, so we try and accommodate them as much as possible. Yes, sir. So what role does your apprenticeship council play in Arizona? Is it regulatory or is it just advisory in nature? My committee is an advisory committee. Um, basically, um, our apprenticeship program um, was started uh, when a House Bill 240 was signed on March 24th, 1941 by Governor Sidney Osborne. It became law June 16, 1941, and on June 17, he appointed a nine-person council uh, to take care of all the apprenticeship services for Arizona. And that was that was back then. That was even with the Department of Economic Security. But uh, up until about 1997, then uh, that was the case. And then the, the governor brought in another governor brought in uh, the workforce council to look after all of the workforce parts of Arizona. So our council then got relegated to a committee, and our chairman of that committee actually sits on the big workforce Arizona council and reports any apprenticeship you know, services and things that we provide to that council. And then, of course, that that, that chairperson provides that to the governor. So our advisory committee is made up of 13 entities right now, four from business, 
four from employee, uh, we have the industrial commission, community college, secondary education, workforce, or our department of labor liaison also comes and sits there. So they're non-voting part of it. Um, but they, they, they look over all the documents. We keep them well aware of everything. Um, they, they make advisory decisions and, uh, we consult with each other, and then we will make put some stuff into regulatory practices uh, as we see fit. You know, we'll make some changes to what currently is the, the season. As we identify problems going through the committee, do a really good job. They're all well-versed in apprenticeship uh, and uh, a lot of bright people that do a lot of good work. So we value their opinions and then their suggestions for us. Um, and we don't usually counteract anything they do, you know, when they suggest to us. We, we can put it in the action and take care of things. It sounds like a really good, diverse group of uh, stakeholders that is necessary to grow apprenticeship in Arizona. But, you know, there's been a renewed focus on engaging youth in apprenticeship. And so some states do register youth apprenticeship. Some states do uh, pre-apprenticeship. And that's a pipeline to a registered program. In Arizona, do you all do a little bit of both? Do you do more youth apprenticeship? Do you do more pre-apprenticeship? What, what's kind of the mix in Arizona? There isn't a lot of pre-apprenticeship, um, Joseph, in Arizona, or youth apprenticeship. For that we, that's one of the, the slow starters for me. Is, um, is Well, right now, we've got a couple of pre-apprenticeships um, that are recognized pre-apprenticeships with one of our career technical education programs at Westmark. Well, the wonderful, wonderful part about that is that they have an electrician curriculum that they approved, even though they all work in NCCER. This was outside of NCCER, and they got this approved. So now we have a, a direct feeder stream to an, an electrical association, and then we have the masonry program out there, which is an NCCER program that's, that's working. That's the only two formal pre-apprenticeships, essentially, uh, out of our career technical education programs. Uh, we have our iron workers program that perform a gladiator stuff. So we're we're working to identify stuff that is leading to direct entry. Of course, we got Job Corps here that we recently signed a new program up uh, with Job Corps that has a pre apprenticeship already training in Job Corps that's going to be direct entry. So that's fabulous. Uh, and uh, I endorse the uh, Habitat for Humanity of the. Friendly House and stuff that some of the ones that are national federal programs. Um, so we've identified that they've shown direct entry into our carpenters and into electrical and into other uh, painters and drywall as such. So we've identified them as a direct entry and all we, we just encourage those uh, programs that provide those occupations to endorse those direct entry programs in their standards. So it's a means of direct entry that way. When it's in the standards and recognized that way, then the workforce dollars can, we've identified the WIOA, you know, and even in-school youth, out-of-school youth. So when they're still in school and they're going to some of these pre-apprenticeship classes, there's some funding available. When they're out of school, then Title One B, I guess it is, the kicks in there for uh, individual training allowances for apprenticeships. That helps, that helps the, the job seeker. So the, we're identifying quite a bit. As I say, we have one in cybersecurity, a youth apprenticeship, and uh, we were actually working and we're still in conversation with JFF and, and Center for the Future of Arizona to create some more. 
And uh, those are ongoing discussions that we're still working with the guys and and uh, they're they're doing great work down in the southern part of the state with all all of our liaisons here. So um, at that point, Joseph, when we have experts like that, and I just stand back, and uh, they'll basically they'll just bring the docs to me for signature, and I'll look them over, and I think I'll trust them enough that they've been in this game long enough that they're they're going to bring a good quality product for me, and it's only beneficial to Arizona's job seekers. So I heard you mention earlier a little bit about some challenges you all had around uh, curriculum alignment, and you talked about the NCCR and the iron workers, and you, you even mentioned that you have a post-secondary and a secondary person on your apprenticeship council. So has your division done any work with the higher ed department of higher education or department of education uh, to kind of align CTE curriculums with some of your registered programs. Oh yeah. So what's the old adage? If you can't beat them, join. <laughs> well, <laughs> I joined, I joined into uh, the skills commission. I'm an active member of the skills commission. So I can, I'm on there and I help approve standards. And I've been on there for six and a half years now. I'm putting the product together and uh, we've put together a pre-apprenticeship committee over the past, year we've got that going it, it obviously COVID put a big dent in our, our outreach efforts there but we've been as much as possible engaging some of the CTE directors that look after different areas of the state are very very active have been active in pre-apprenticeships in their in their previous lives in other states so we've got a wealth of experience there and it was just a matter of tying things up to align with registered apprenticeships so that was my role you know, our CT programs were catering to over 900 sets of standards in there that weren't directly aligning with what I needed. And so we've, we've started to cater to that, starting to get, and basically all it was was just having everybody understand what our roles are. I don't go in and step on their toes and they just say, Hey, here's what we've got. And one of the good things I'll share um, that, that has really led this past year to be very, very, um, I want to say I'm very enthusiastic about what the future holds for us because our governor's done a great thing. He signed a, a system there that when a, a student graduates from one of our CTE programs with a credential or certification, that that student would earn a $1,000 check for their school. Wow, that's now, that's really good. And, I, and so my eyes lit up at this. You know yourself. Your I know your your eyes are watering right now, thinking about that opportunity. That <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> you know, it was, uh, and so I just got lit up on that. And so we really got engaged with this, and then with uh, then the Perkins funding got back up and again for secondary education. And it was just it seems to be a perfect storm, and the perfect storm obviously brought COVID to us. But uh, it, it just tendered our outreach efforts a little bit, but we're overcoming those. And uh, I can see a great future for us here if we can keep if we can keep the attention and keep the roles uh, the way we're going. I think that's great. Um, ha- uh, we have a an education liaison that works with me in our agency as well, so that I don't have to attend everything. That she can go in my stead uh, and help bridge those. We're gradually working um, to um, increase our outreach with our local veteran employment representatives. Our business service representatives are becoming more accustomed to speaking about registered apprenticeship. And so now we have 
maybe 15 more people out there that are engaging in apprenticeship activities for us. Um, not as much as we are doing, but every little bit helps and we're getting warm handoffs from them as well, which helps us to grow apprenticeships. So, um, they're all in the secondary education roles, talking to people there as well. So it's all about keeping the conversation warm. And that's what we're trying with. That's what we're trying to do. Just keep the conversation ticking on and not letting it go idle. Yes, sir. Well, it definitely sounds like you have the systems and the structures uh, in place to, to be successful. So, Willie, you talked a little bit about uh, Habitat for Humanity and some of the other pre-apprenticeship programs that you have established in, uh, and, and made some connections to registered programs through uh, direct entry. So we know that some programs build out their own pre-apprenticeship programs, but then some programs, they decide to join with an organization like Habitat for Humanity. How do you make those connections in between a, a Habitat for Humanity and iron workers or carpenters? And, and really, how do you engage both sides to make that connection and, and make that pre-apprenticeship relationship work? Well, we have our, our ATRs are actively engaged with um, a community outreach group that meet on a monthly basis. So all of our CBOs are involved with Friendly House and Joseph the Worker and you know Valley of the Sun United Way and, and all, all entities are there. They're all involved with it. And our team keeps a close tabs on them and then shares with those entities, hey, you know, here's a group that are doing this. And so that's where we met Habitat for Humanity. There was a gentleman there um, we, we met with in uh, and he said, how do I, how do I expand this program? But, you know, it's, it's a really good program, but they, he wanted to, for his people that he brought into it, he wanted them to have that career pathway and not just do this program and then be left to the employment line again. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to do an introduction for you and here's what you need to adopt. Um, what we ended up doing then was introduce them to the carpenters and to the masons or the bricklayers and, you know, all of the, the skilled, uh, construction science programs, they got to speak to them and then they even allowed or I touched on retirees, which is a hugely underrepresented population in training, Joseph, you know that. Um, they got some retirees from their things to go and work and teach the skills to the, the recruits for Habitat for Humanity. So they were getting 60 years experience handed to them on a plate and then now they, they've got enough experience when they graduate after building a couple of homes and they go on to jobs. They're going into the apprenticeship programs and getting signed up and the, the programs are there to evaluate the curriculum, which aligns with what they're teaching so that they can get some credit for previous experience. And, and it's a win-win-win for everybody. So I'm glad you bring up the CBOs, Willie. Do you think that engaging those CBOs have... Uh, led to better diversity and really the engagement of op- getting opportunity youth involved in the registered apprenticeship system? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, a lot of times, and this is just my opinion, a lot of people say I'm, I'm very opinionated, which I am, but I'm going to throw this part out here. The opinion I have of it is, is the, the verbiage that people use. The, the, you often hear the underrepresented population. I just what my statement earlier of talking about all of the community-based organizations that go, that alone suggests that there's multiple community-based organizations. 
And they're all basically performing the same function. So what I'm saying is the funding that goes into each organization, instead of having it in a couple where it could be a bulked up portion, it's, it's spread out thinly. And so the organizations aren't capable of, prov- of providing to multiple entities, which, by the way, some people are registered with multiple community-based organizations. So you can see a little bit of a hiccup right there for me. Um, but, but again, we just want to, we just say, you don't need to spend money. All we want you to do is get that person that you have as your customer and come to a registered apprenticeship and apply. They will teach them everything they need to know. That's, that's the big deal. Just getting them aware that these opportunities, you don't need to go in and do a resume. You don't need to go in and do all this. If you're willing to work, most of these programs will hire you on the spot. And that's what we, that's the message we get to them. We love working with them, Joseph. And we have a really diverse group here. Obviously, it's, it's, it can be better. Like everybody's can be better. Um, we are trying to grow our female population in apprenticeship, which is, is about 7% right now, which is a little better than what we traditionally had. Our role is obviously to grow more uh, veterans op- opportunities and people with disabilities. We've, we've been, we, we do a, a, a monthly call with our vocational rehab counselors, and uh, we have one of our programs come on and explain how their clients can apply to a registered apprenticeship program and what their program can provide for them. And it's proven to be very successful. We get 60, 70 counselors on there from all over the state on these calls. So that helps us. Uh, And then, of course, those counselors talk to the community-based organizations as well. So everybody is starting to get the buzz about registered apprenticeship. Of course, what happens, and we need to create more programs <laughs> to cater to all these applicants. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, you know. So, yeah, it's again. It sounds like you had the structures in place, and uh, you are really focused on increasing diversity and, and reaching out to those opportunity youth, veterans, and minorities, and uh, women, which is all things that registered apprenticeship should be focusing on right now. Yeah, Opportunity for Youth actually was one of our applicants there and I endorsed them and, and sat on calls with them and walked them through all of the process of registered apprenticeships and we're building up a good relationship with their director and their team here. Actually, my first ATR that came in, uh, when I had him here from 2015, he came, he left and became an assistant director over at Opportunity for Youth. So <laughs> we had an in, but he ended up choosing the he went off and took off an apprenticeship program, so he knew where he wanted to go. Anyway, I digress. I understand. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, Willie, about WIOA and and your excitement or or interest in engaging WIOA. Have you had any success uh, accessing in-school youth funds or out-of-school youth funds? And if not, what are, what are some of the ideas that you have around using some of the EOA dollars? Um, initially, right now, um, when I was with the with my program at ISERVE before I became state director, Arizona, I, we we were we were using WIOA funding for my apprentices that were accepted into the program. But Arizona, um, ever since I came on board in two thousand and five into the workforce part has been number one in the nation that apprentices that have been served through WIOA funding. And it has been ever since wow. 2005. And it's, um, and, and it's, 
by by leaps and bounds as well. I, I I was teasing a couple of my colleagues at NASDAQ recently, about two years ago there, at Kansas, and uh, and I was teasing because that director from Kansas was uh, Chastity Troxel. I know I probably shouldn't have thrown her name out there, but Chastity came from the workforce and she's been bringing it on board. Well, we were more than double of the apprentices that she had that have been served in Arizona. And so uh, and that's just for the regular indi- uh, individual training allowance for apprenticeships. So it can be out of school youth or dislocated workers or whatever way they determine it. But the in-school youth program is the one that fascinates me because now we're breaking into a different realm here. Uh, opportunity for youth is going to help cover that. We've got our CT programs that are getting more established. We've got workforce attending, go skills commission meetings to make everybody aware of how it can help. And then we have our Department of Education that does uh, dislocated worker pre-apprenticeship training. Um, we're working with uh, one of the gals over there that works out of one of the community colleges to, to put a cohort training together for specific industries. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, but it's in the works. So we're, we've identified a few uh, occupations that we're going to be working to to put a cohort training together as a pre-apprenticeship training. And we're off and running, you know. It's a, so it's all those little things that we have in the pipeline that need to happen in order for us to be successful. And once the people understand and see it working without too much indulgement from them, we're home in a boat, you know. I can see Arizona's numbers growing. We're right now, Joseph, we're at the most we've had. Uh, apprentices registered like 4,550 or something right now. We were up to 40, almost 47. That's the most we've ever had in the state. Uh, I can see us moving up there around about nine or 10,000 in the next three or four years. Wow. If, if we can keep good. this momentum going. You all are definitely ahead of the curve when it, when it comes to WIOA. It sounds like I, I believe a lot of directors are kind of struggling with how to engage WIOA. So it, it's great that you've been able to engage WIOA and you're looking for new ways to engage WIOA further. Yeah, I like to go and I speak to the directors on frequently, each director of each local area, and then um, build that relationship with them already and tell them what they want to do. Then they have a delegate there, a business service rep that they would delegate you to. Um, and he explained the system of apprenticeship and how it's beneficial and show them all of the documentation that the Department of Labor has on their website, which is, a, there's a lot, you know, but even, even our uh, administrative team out of, out of Washington with John and, and Mike Walter. And then they even said, apprenticeship is the best bang for the buck in the workforce system. And so we have to keep promoting that. And once you can show the local workforce area that if they outlay maybe $2,000 for tools, books, materials, tuition, and maybe even a bit of supportive service with like a gas card or something, whatever they can provide, that person's in, a, in, in employment right now, making a good wage with progressive wages moving as they, their skills increase, one and done. And, and they get all the performance measures met in the first year, five of the six performance measures met. And then the credential they can claim at the second, third, or fourth year. Uh, we're trying to encourage the programs to do a, an interim credential so that we can meet all of the targets for performance for the local areas. And that builds a better relationship. And it all takes a little bit of time. So, Willie, when we talk about engaging 
your your out of school youth or your opportunity youth. Uh, you're talking about those 16 to 24 year olds, and yeah. I always like to say it's it's really kind of two groups in in that age group. You have your 16 and 19 year olds who they might be recently graduated or recently uh, dropped out, but have some form of GED or something. They're, they're kind of connected to the educational system, and so they're a little easier to reach and reach out to. And then you have your 20 to 24 year olds who they may have done some college and didn't finish, but they're kind of young adults and they're not connected to the educational system and it's hard to reach them. So, so have you thought about how to reach that 20 to 24 year old uh, age group? Well, and that's, that's all of, all of the above. Uh, we spoke about earlier, all of our community based organizations and our opportunity for youth people, our dislocated worker pre-apprenticeship, our community college people that have liaisons, veterans groups and all of those people, our business service teams, our employment service teams that we have at DEF. You know, everybody reaches out somewhere. If somebody isn't being touched by any of our people or any of our contacts, they're hiding in the basement somewhere. <laughs> so, and that, that brings up another question, you know, depending on who you're speaking with. Apparently, there's about 20,000 of these people, 16 to 19 to 20 year olds, that, that are still in their parents' basements playing video games. I don't know how we can reach those people unless we start getting subliminal messages in their video games. You know, I don't know how we're going to reach it. There's a lot of things that there's no easy button for, but we we, we rely heavily on all of our contacts uh, to expose apprenticeship to people. So it's not a matter of me touching them. It's just saying, hey, I've, I've given you the skill to speak about registered apprenticeship to a certain extent. We just want you to sell that big red car. That's what I say. <laughs> the registered apprenticeship is that big red car with the candy colored paint. Just say, hey. Look at this big red car. And if they're interested in it, if you want to find out more about it, I know a guy. And then they'll introduce him to our office. That's basically what we try to do. Just keep it super simple. Just talk about it and then have them have them contact our office. Don't want them to get too much information where they could trip over themselves and start. Because you know what it's like when somebody starts asking you questions and questions and you haven't got the answers. You know, it can it can put you in a dilemma. You might start making up say, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and then put yourself in a bit of a quandary right there. So if you can suggest them, hey, I'm glad you're interested, but I know a guy can tell you everything you need to know. Here's his number, or here's their number, and that's basically what we're trying to do right now. And uh, once you get the once you get everybody involved somewhat, it, it's going to be great. You know, there's an initiative here, Joe. So I'm probably getting off topic a little bit here, but. There's a few initiatives here in Arizona right now. Uh, Build Your Future Arizona is one. Our Greater Phoenix Chamber has brought that on board. They're, they're, they're promoting the construction sciences technologies. That's the new name we use for the trades because it's all science. Everything is science about the construction industry. Our, our carpenters, they do trigonometry and geometry and, and even digging a foundation. It's science. You need to know how wide you're digging it, how deep you need to dig it, why you need to do that, what's the slump in your concrete and your poor foundations. You know, those are all scientific things. And so rather than just say, hey, come into the construction trades, this is a great recruitment to bring more females on board as well. And it probably the construction helps you. sciences. 
it probably helps you sell it to the parents for those kind of 16 and 19 year olds probably helps you sell it to the parents even a little better as well. Yeah. And one of the things that we really have there, and this is what's so important about having the, the uh, intermediaries with the community colleges is we're promoting, you're getting that academic attainment through apprenticeship rather than instead of, but more importantly, you're not incurring any debt and you're going through this. We have a couple of programs right now that, um, the, the students graduate with an associate's degree upon completion of their program. And that's a huge bonus. You know, as, as guys and gals move through the apprenticeship programs and they get into the 40s and 50s and some of the heavier industries, you know, they, they don't want to be out in the field when they're 15. So we encourage that academic attainment. And then they can pay for the, the, the other couple of years of the baccalaureate. Uh, and you can get all those administrative things behind you. When you're ready to move into the office when you're 50 years old or something, you're already set up with the, the BA behind you. And you haven't incurred any of that debt over your whole life. So doing that, and then, of course, our CTE programs with dual enrollment is another big factor for us. Um, and credit for previous experience moving into the apprenticeship it just shortens down all those spans and makes it a lot more attractive. Of course, making great money always helps too, you know. <laughs> it definitely, it definitely does. And so, uh, Willie, you, you definitely uh, have a lot of things going on in Arizona. And it seems as though you've left no stone unturned in terms of thinking about uh, different populations to be able to reach out to. Uh, and I, I thank you for your time, Willie. Is there anything that you that we didn't cover that you feel like you would like to share with the listening audience? Uh, not really, Joseph. I think I got to express all my good stuff out there. And uh, just wish we had another 10 ATRs in Arizona to help us grow more, you know. And that could happen. We, we will, you know, the better we produce in this program here, it'll just make the, the leadership pay attention more and say, hey, this is really a great program. And, uh, and of course, that's our job. We'll have, to, we'll have to just do better and build better relationships and just keep them moving forward. That sounds great, Willie. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with me, your host, Joseph Hollins. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you coming back to hear more of the innovative things that apprenticeship directors from across the country are doing. We're signing off.